Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Parise of Copper Beach Financial Group. Today I'm excited they've got a guest on the show and that's David Warren. Before we get to David, let's bring on the stars. John and Michael, how are you guys? Hey, we're good. Yeah, we're doing great. I stuff. like that introduction, stars. That, that <laughs> makes me feel very warm and fuzzy earlier in the morning. <laughs> Especially it's cold. <laughs> well, that's what we need right now, right? It's it's cold, it's winter, and it's uh, yeah, warm and fuzzy is always good. Michael, speaking of warm and fuzzy, you have David Warren on the show. Why'd you bring David on? Well, yes, we do. So David, first off, thank you for uh, being our guest today. We brought David on because David is the, uh, by the way, the co-founder and chairman of the board of Bridgeford Trust Company. And I'll let David walk through his company and his background in a little bit. But we brought David on because we've had quite a few podcasts in the past on trusts and how they're structured and, and more particularly how to pick a trustee. And that, from our experience, tends to be one of the most difficult tasks that families have in going through that estate planning process is how do you pick the right trustee? And sometimes a trust company, which again, David will introduce himself and what he does, but they tend to be a good option for a good many of our families. And so we thought that it would be good to have David come on today, talk about you know what a trust company is, what his company does, and why some families may want to look at that as an option for their estate planning. So David, thank you for being a part of the podcast yeah, today. Thank you, David. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you both. I uh, I thought you were going to say it's because I was warm and fuzzy, which is why you invited Not me. Not too. Well, <laughs> yes, but yeah. <laughs> you can talk a little bit about that too, if you'd like. Well, there are some who don't think I am, but no, I really appreciate it. I, I love the opportunity to talk to you both. I, you know, when we had conversations, <clears throat> when we first met, clearly we are so well aligned in the way that we approach the market and, and the service of clients. And, you know, from our perspective, building Bridgeford was, it was really, the genesis was to be an extension of, of companies like yours. You know, so much has changed in the trust industry. I'm a lawyer by training. So I saw the trust industry from, uh, you know, from a litigator perspective and a practicing law perspective, and then went to some large institutions like Bank of New York Mellon and others. And fell in love with big ideas and, and the power of modern trust law, but did not love the paradigm that, that kind of governed the trust landscape. And the paradigm I'm talking about, of course, is, in my view, a very conflict-ridden, bundled approach of asset managers being the trustee and yeah. doing private banking and, and putting all of the services together, which to me don't belong together. So the idea of Bridgeford was really, and I don't like the word because it's overused, but a bit of a disruptor in the marketplace 10 or 12, 15 years ago, where we saw a different path uh, really born out of what I believe and my partners believed was what was wrong with the trust industry, which again is wrought with conflict of interest, as we talked about. And that's where we, that, that was the, the initial idea. And then I became really excited and passionate about uh, big ideas and, and jurisdiction and and the idea of you know choosing the correct trust jurisdiction, and so you know just being a trust company is only half the conversation. I would say for you and your clients, or or, or large families around the country and across the world, you know, choosing the jurisdiction to be in is as important, I think, as a decision to create a trust in the first place. So, Bridgeford just yeah. isn't a trust company, right? It's a, to choose. It's a trust company that brings asset protection and privacy and and modern trust laws, and so we. 
got excited about South Dakota. I'm a Northeast person. You could tell I don't sound like I'm from South Dakota, but we are, I looked at Delaware. We looked at Nevada. We looked at the other top tier trust jurisdictions 10 or 12 years ago and became excited about South Dakota for a whole myriad of reasons. But the the, the larger picture is we built Bridgeford to partner with, with firms like yours. And, and I know you and your firm have a big idea too in terms of how you serve clients and you too don't like the conflicts of interest which is why you seek trust solutions outside of of uh, you know not under your roof and and tell me if you don't mind your decision not to be part of the trust industry and go to an outsourced solution generally i mean that's deliberate for the same reasons right yeah i would say so i mean we often get asked all the time to be the trustee of a client's trust that we, because we help architect that design along with the family's other advisors, attorneys, and CPAs, et cetera. And so because we tend to be that catalyst, that family CFO, the role that we take, we're pretty intimately involved with what went into creating the trust and the language that went into creating that. And we have had podcasts on our legacy letters and mission statements, family mission statements that we help families with. So by virtue of that, families look to us and say, hey, why can't you guys be the trustee of our trust? You know everything about our family. You've really been intimately involved in the creation of this. So why can't you be? And we have some compliance uh, restrictions around us being able to do that. And so it really, we rely on firms like Bridgeford and others to really be that outsourced trust resource for many of our families that perhaps don't want to have a family member as a trustee, which again, at the introduction, that tends to be one of the most difficult roles that families have and to pick from in terms of designing their estate plan is who's going to be the trustee. And so, again, that's why we've sort of taken that path in terms of an outsourcing solution. Sure. Well, and if we're being honest, the traditional notion of corporate trustees has a negative connotation. You know, having grown up in the trust world after leaving the practice of law, I saw all that was not great about the corporate trustee structure. I mean, it can be expensive. We've already talked about the conflicts of interest. Uh, we talked about the fact that families can't choose their own investment managers and in most cases can't even decide on how the money is going to be managed. And so, you know, no, I, there's no wonder, you know, that families gravitate towards family members, right? Or, or friends or attorneys or you to be their trustee because they don't want to deal with a big, bad <clears throat> corporate trustee. And I think that's changed. I think we're in a new paradigm and that's what we've tried to build with Bridgeford and a big message in, in our podcast and, and the things that we talk about is, you know, corporate trustee doesn't mean what it used to, irrevocable trusts don't mean what they used to mean. And so families don't have to be afraid of Bridgeford as a corporate trustee because, you know, power has been diluted and and they don't lose control and, you know, corporate trustees don't die. And there's still lots of good reasons why corporate trustees work. And that's not even getting yet to the point of a corporate trustee in South Dakota and all the advantages of modern trust law. But we struggle with that. And I love your thoughts, both of you. I mean, because I I know that the preference for a family is not to go to a bank in New York Mellon or a PNC or wherever, because in my opinion, they've really have left a bad taste in the mouth of some very large families around the world and across the country with how they operate. And so they would prefer to have Uncle John be trustee. So how do you, when that happens for you in your practice or your large families, how do you get them to look at a different solution? Yeah, I'll jump in here. The the challenge we've always had was to build a good team around a family. We're collaborators. We don't, we recognized, I'm 37 years in the business now. I recognized a long time ago that I could only be good at one and be exceptional at that one one thing. 
And I think the planning side of what we do here at Copper Beach, we think it's exceptional uh, at the level we do that. So everything else we outsource to professionals like yourselves. We find that's more objective and it's easier for the client to recognize that there's a team that's supporting them as a family. Now, for example, when we work with trustees, whether they're family trustees or corporate trustees, Michael and I will tell you, we spent a lot of time on creating legacy letters from mm -hmm. the client to the mm -hmm. trustees. So the yeah. trustee has an understanding of the values of, of the grantor of that trust or the family as mm -hmm. it looks generationally. Uh, and that's hard to do, but but direction is, is the key. So we do things for our families to, to show them that you can get a corporate trustee and we can get them real tight with the family. Long-term, obviously, that's a challenge, but the closer we get the trustees to understanding what the family's goals and wishes are, the better it's going to be to manage that trust. So that we approach it at that level. So we need always skilled people to be on our team to make things happen for the families. Yeah. And to add to that, I think to answer your question a little bit further, David, I think the corporate trustee decision a lot of times comes up in the context of asset protection. And you alluded to that a little right. bit earlier in terms of why a family might want to look at a corporate trustee. And, and asset protection is a key focus for really all of our families, particularly when they're creating a trust structure. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm interested to hear sort of your experience and why a corporate trustee could maybe provide that additional layer of asset protection for a family that's going through the estate planning process? I really appreciate that question because that's an area that we're particularly passionate about and probably was one of the first modern trust law big ideas that I kind of fell in love with when I was back in practicing law. This idea of asset protection is maybe more important now than ever. And as you both know, there's a handful of U.S. jurisdictions that have created this self-settled domestic asset protection trust that mm -hmm. that is important to you know remind your listeners that it, it, what what makes it special is the self-settled aspect of it. So the breakdown of that is you know, your large client can set up a domestic asset protection trust as a settler for the person funding the trust, still have access to income, still have a lot of control over decision making but enjoy some pretty powerful asset protection, which in the old days, like 20 some years ago, the only way, yeah, the only time you can get it is the only way you got it is going to Cook's Island or leaving right. the United States. And, and so, you know, of course, South Dakota um, has a domestic asset protection statute, as does Delaware and Nevada and, and the top tier trust jurisdictions. And we embrace it. We, we, we talk about it all the time. It's certainly not nefarious and, and it doesn't, it's not designed to, uh, to aid people who are trying to uh, do nefarious things, but it's a very powerful tool. And, you know, for years it kind of was debated as to what does it really work and constitutional principles were, were batted around. I know you both are lawyers, so you know where I'm going, where, you know, is one state going to honor the law of another state and, or how many angels could dance on the head of a pin? I don't know. I've been involved with these conversations for 10 years, but there's really an emerging I think uh, consensus that domestic asset protection works not only to, as a deterrent. So, you know, if, if a plaintiff's attorney sees that Bridgeford is the trustee of a domestic asset protection trust, maybe they're less likely to try to, to try to enforce a judgment against the trust. But, but there's case law. There's there's case law at the Supreme Court, um, state Supreme Court level in South Dakota. Case is called Cleopatra. It's very clear that that, that state is going to not honor judgments from other states uh, that attempt to come into South Dakota and 
and enforce a judgment. I think lawyers that were skeptical of it have embraced it for a couple of different reasons. And I think one of the biggest ones is, you know, around the world, reporting requirements have changed. And so going to the Cooks Island or Nevis or Bahamas or wherever, when it was in vogue 20 years ago to achieve asset protection has become not the best option because those those countries now have mandatory disclosure among themselves in terms of what's you know, personal information. So um, without going too far off on a tangent, asset protection has become of paramount concern to our families. And it's something that I, I, I'm passionate about, not only as a, as, a, as, a, as a tool to help families, but intellectually, you know, they're, they're, it, people are entitled to asset protection. You know, doctors who have built their practice and, and, and got involved in a malpractice suit, you know, if, if something comes in and it's $20 million and, and you know, sh- should, they, should they be decimated financially? Of course not, you know, and I think that that debate I'm happy to have. So probably went a little bit more off on a tangent that you didn't expect me to go on, but I am a believer in asset protection. I believe it works in the United States. And I can tell you, I've been involved firsthand testifying in various jurisdictions uh, in defense of in defense of trusts uh, that, that were asset protection had an asset protection component, and we haven't we haven't lost a case. And the only case that I'm aware of, or the only instance that I'm aware of in the United States where a domestic asset protection trust has failed, and I'm referring to an Alaska case, is in the instance when it was a fraudulent conveyance. And very quickly, a fraudulent conveyance is exactly what it sounds like. If if you come to me and say, hey, listen, I just got sued and there's a judgment against me for $20 million, David, I need a trust. Well, that's fraudulent. We know that there's a judgment coming and we right. that's fraudulent conveyance. But if you come to me and you say, listen, you know, Copper Beach is growing and growing and and we're very successful. And because we're business owners, we're more susceptible to lawsuits. So we would like a domestic asset protection trust because we're just a target. That's fine. And so the only instance where I've seen these, these trusts pierced, as I said, was in the context of an outright nefarious fraudulent conveyance. But if these trusts are set up correctly and, and the trust company is doing what it's supposed to in, in the jurisdiction and making sure that these, the integrity of these trusts are protected, then they work. And, and I love the topic. I appreciate the question. Yeah, David, we, when, we, when we speak with our clients on these trust structures, one of, the, one of the questions that come up is what's going on in Washington. They ask, yeah, we get these trusts set up. Someone in Washington all of a sudden changes the trust laws. I know over the last seven, eight months, we were all challenged by what was going on in Washington. But what is your read on potentially changing the benefit of some of these trusts and the jurisdictions they're in? Well, I love that question, too, because it hits on the very sort of fabric of what is modern trust law today. The beauty of what we can do now that couldn't happen when I was in law school is the ability to be nimble and to react to changes out of Washington. I alluded to a moment ago how an irrevocable trust really doesn't mean what it used to mean when we were in law school. And so to answer your question specifically, you know, whatever happens in Washington or whatever happens globally, these trusts are very easy to modify and change and frankly move from a jurisdiction uh, that may be great like South Dakota today. But if it's not tomorrow, you can move it to a jurisdiction that is perceived to be better or offshore. So the amount of flexibility through the decanting statute and modification statutes uh, is unbelievable. And again, did not exist in when I was in law school. And I, and I love it. And it's part of the modern trust law new paradigm that we operate in. And, and I love telling large families, look, you're not locking yourself in. If, if Joe Biden comes up with something crazy and the trust that you put together at the end of the year doesn't work, then we'll fix it and we can modify it. 
and make it work the way you want to. Or, you know, if you have a beneficiary that's become crazy and you don't want that beneficiary anymore, there's a way to deal with that. Or again, if jurisdiction doesn't make sense, there's a way to deal with that. I mean, we're in a whole new world right now. And I, I really hope your listeners and, and people that follow Bridgeford and, and families that are looking for trust planning understand that we're not talking about rigidity anymore and, and, and the trust company telling you what to do. And I'll say, you know, as I wrap up that, that point, this idea of decanting, which is just a fancy way of, of saying pouring an old trust into a new trust with, with better provisions and modern trust law, you know, not all states are created equal in that, that the context. And in South Dakota, I will say is, and I know it sounds self-serving because I own a South Dakota trust company, but facts are facts. And this is a fact that South Dakota for seven or eight years now in a row has been acknowledged as having the best and most flexible and creative decanting statute in the country, which drives so many families. And, and, and you both, I'm sure, have seen this over the years. I mean, you look at these trusts and they were drafted, you know, 50 years ago. And you're like, my God, you know, the, the light, we, I don't need to tell you what you would. I've seen them and I'm shocked. It's hurt families generationally. It, absolutely. And it makes them hate the, tri- the corporate trustee, quite exactly. frankly. And, and then you can come along and say, well, wait a minute. We can really change this stuff and reduce your fees, by the way. That's a whole other concept to, that we can get into. But I mean, this new paradigm also reduces trust fees. And we can talk about that later. But but to your point specifically, I, and I'm really glad we're touching on that. One of the most important messages we get out of Bridgeford or we try or every new family that we work with is you're not locking yourself in forever with the structure. It's very malleable. Yeah, David, one of the things that you've talked about so far, and you've alluded to it a lot, is really just this concept of of trust jurisdiction. And that's one thing that when we meet a family, many of them are not aware that you can form a, a trust and domicile that in South Dakota or some other trust that might have more favorable or state rather that might have more favorable laws around trusts. Just like with corporations, a lot of people are familiar with that. They might want to form a Delaware corporation if they want to start a particular business. It's the same thing with trusts. And you can domicile a trust in a particular state that might have laws that are more favorable for what the family is trying to accomplish. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on on those conversations and how do you approach, let's say, an attorney that's working for a family about domiciling a trust there? Because I know when we meet a family, very often the attorney is drafting a trust and they might domicile the trust initially if it's an irrevocable trust in whatever state that they either practice in or that the client is located physically. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, again, that might not be the most advantageous way to do it. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on maybe advice or or, or things to think about that are, that our listeners can maybe take back to their advisors. No, certainly. I mean, I, there's a there's a quote by a woman who used to lead Newberger Berman, and I use a lot in presentations that says that the decision as to where to place a trust is as important as a decision to create a trust in the first place. I think this jurisdiction selection is of paramount importance because we all know, just as you said, you know, there's better places to incorporate businesses and by without question, there are better places to incorporate trusts and or to set up trusts. And I, I tend to be a, a little aggressive about this, so I, I should probably preface that with a bit of an apology. But I, I as a lawyer and a litigator, I, I'm constantly surprised by running into how many lawyers I run into who place trusts in New Jersey or California or New York State when clearly that's not in the best interest of their clients, but they do so because that's what they know how to do. Yeah, right? I mean, we have a challenge with that because yeah, when, when we sure get hired do. by families, 
our, our approach has always been, we don't replace any of the advisors. We just sure. get plugged in as the family CFO. And it's, and sometimes you run into that challenge with this local attorney who drafted the local trust and we have to disrupt that a little bit. So it's, it's very challenge for us. It's usually always successful for us because the way we approach it, but it is, it is a challenge for, to make that change to the clients of, well, why, why'd you do that to begin with? Why, Absolutely. Why, why am I not in South Dakota or, or, or uh, Utah? Or- well, is there, is there a reason for that, David, from your experience? Is it more because it's just what the attorneys may be comfortable with, or is it a licensing issue? Do they feel like they're practicing law in another jurisdiction if they domicile the trust someplace else? Uh, did, I'm, I'm always interested to hear why that seems to be the case. So both, I think, and I'll use my words carefully, I think there's a there's an unsophisticated aspect to the trust in the state's bar where they do it the way they've always done it. And and that's, that's a sad answer that I think it ultimately is going to lead to malpractice for some attorneys. And I know that's an aggressive stance to take, but there is case that suggests that it's, 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 it's a breach of professional responsibility and fiduciary duty to place a trust in an unfavorable trust jurisdiction. So on that point, the case is out of the Massachusetts Supreme Court and it, and it asks the question, well, look, if if you know a Copper Beach or, or I know as a trustee or an attorney should know, and they should know that by simply choosing a South Dakota or Nevada or Delaware, it does not have a state income tax. There's a potential to save you know enormous amounts of money in state taxation on undistributed income. And if that advice is not given to a family, why is that not malpractice? I mean, you can measure the damages. And so I am hyper aggressive when I speak about, I don't think it's about, I like to remove it from hyperbole and I like to remove sales from it. Again, I know it sounds very self-serving because I'm founder of of a South Dakota trust company. We put ourselves in South Dakota deliberately. It could be Nevada, it could be Delaware. The point is they're just better jurisdictions. That's a fact. There's a chart that we put together that is is extremely well researched it's objective it is not a sales tool and it's something that we've built with the help of melissa roberson our director of of our marketing director and we update every year and it cites steve oceans and states trust in the states magazine and it cites law review articles and i am happy to share that chart with you of course i might have and and with your listeners and there's an objective comparison that says, look, I'm not talking about sales here. I'm talking about if you choose the wrong jurisdiction, it's going to cost you money in taxation. You're not going to have asset protection. You're not going to have privacy. And you're not going to have the flexibility that you can get in, in a handful of these top tier trust jurisdictions. So that your first point, I, I get uh, pretty exuberant over. And, and I find myself sometimes really getting passionate when I speak because I, I can't understand the answer. And then I further can't understand the position, which was the second point you made is that an attorney that says, well, I'm not licensed in South Dakota. I have no obligation to know anything about South Dakota. And I tell them that they're wrong. In fact, they should be going to CLEs. They should be keeping up with modern trust law. They need to understand how domestic asset protection works and what is an asset, what is a directed trust and all the other proverbial bells and whistles of modern trust law. And that's a cop-out. A judge is not going to accept that as an answer from somebody in New York that says, well, I don't have to know about South Dakota law. Yeah, you actually do, because trust in the states is a federal practice, and you need to understand what is a top-tier trust jurisdiction. And while they can't appear in court in South Dakota, they certainly are permitted to draft South Dakota trust. We work with attorneys in Manhattan, Miami, LA, all across the country in every major financial center that draft South Dakota trusts. We review them. They're usually just fine. If they're not, we'll bring in South Dakota counsel to review. So in my opinion, 
And as you can tell, it's a topic that that, that kind of gets me uh, gets my juices flowing on a, on a cold morning. This is the aspect of me that's not touchy feely or so. What well, no, warm and fuzzy. This is the not warm and fuzzy <laughs> aspect of David Warren. But no, I think that's an excuse that doesn't hold water. I think it's a cop out. I think it's opening the door for malpractice. And I'm just waiting for the case that comes down that it holds an attorney directly liable for damages because they didn't advise on the correct trust jurisdiction for a client that had tax issues or asset protection issues. Yeah, I think it boils boils down to, and I use the term all the time, you don't know what you don't know. So we at Copper Beach, we always take a position that we want to educate our client on every possible option to resolve an issue or to create a different objective. Mm -hmm. And to your point, that David, the, the, the attorneys get stuck in a box. They, they get, to, again, to Michael's point as well, they do things the same way all the time and they don't mm-hmm. expand that their horizon to educate their, their clients. I don't think they feel they have a need to do that, I guess, to a certain We do. We, we think a client should understand why domestic asset protection trust makes sense for this particular reason or a slot design or right. a generation skipping structure that's changed or, or a grad or a defective trust idea, whatever it is, we want to educate that client across the board on all those options. So he has at least an understanding that there's three or four ways to skin the cat. And then we bring the team of advisors together and say, we all agree that option A is the one you should do because it has this impact. So the client walks away from that relationship with the trust company, with the attorneys, with us and the CPAs or wherever other advisors are involved to say, hey, my whole team's on this. They mm-hmm. all agree that option A is the best one. They start sleeping nights now. And that's and that's our approach. So, so it, we see the same challenge you see. It's, it's really... They need to step up their game and understand that there are their other options and to take a, a, a position that they don't feel they have to do that. I think, I think it's a challenge. Yeah. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that's what makes, I don't mean to interrupt, but I think that's what makes firms like you are special. And, and I can say from my perspective, having worked with firms around the country and now increasingly around the world, what, what you just described is still very unique in the marketplace. And you, sh- you should be proud of that. You know, I think that firms often say, well, we lead with planning. Well, no, they don't. They lead with trying to capture assets. And so when we first had our conversation, I knew that you were approaching the market differently, which is why I think we work so well together. I mean, you know, I I mean, look, I could tell people we're the best trust company in the world. Who cares? Or you could tell people you're the best asset manager in the world. David, we're psychiatrists. <laughs> Absolutely. We, I'm Absolutely. telling you, that's it. we're family coaches. We're psychiatrists, psychologists, because that's what it takes to move people to get things done. I mean, Absolutely. it's not just the technical side you need to be real proficient at. It's the emotional connection to the technical side that I th- we believe has the impact because that's what drives people. They don't People don't do anything unless they're emotionally connected to it, period. Right. Well, right. and to add to that, I mean, listeners of our podcast have heard this probably uh, a hundred times, but one of our favorite questions that we ask families is, how do you want to be remembered? Mm. And I think that question can be answered in a lot of different ways and specifically what we're talking about today and and trust jurisdiction and everything that you just discussed, David, I mean, that could be one of those, how do you want to be remembered issues where if you form a trust in a jurisdiction that perhaps does not have as strong an asset protection or a strong tax benefits as say a South Dakota, and sometimes it might be fine while you're here, but if you're going to create that dynasty or that generational trust, you know, 30 years from now, there might be something that comes up and all of a sudden now there's that, how do you want to be remembered where future generations, you know, well, why didn't, why did mom and dad or grandma and grandpa not set up a trust in South Dakota or Nevada or wherever? 
right. to, to get that, you know, and, and obviously we can't predict the future to your point, David, there could be law changes that happen. And, but having that flexibility to be able to shift, I think is really, really important. No, I completely agree with you. And I think that not only generation, generationally, but you know, what, what's the obligation to get it right? And, and I think you, know, you guys are in Copper Beach are representing sort of the, the future of where financial planning is going and, and asset management and family office. I like to think Bridgeford too. I think together there's a new paradigm that we represent. And I know it sounds a little dramatic and, and a little bit too much hyperbole perhaps, but that there is a new world. I mean, I, you know, I can't tell you, and you you know this, I'm sure, anecdotally firsthand, but you know, families that would leave a bank in New York Mellon because of turnover, high fees, lack of control, all the reasons why people don't like the big bad corporate trustee, they're not going to JP Morgan or Citibank or, or even Bessemer. They're going to a bifurcated multifamily office approach like yours with an outsourced sophisticated trust solution like Bridgeford. That's what's happening. That's statistically that's supported. It isn't just anecdotal. Billions and billions of dollars are moving out of, uh, in some cases, trillions of dollars are moving out of these organizations. I mean, I was a bank in Eric Mellon for years, had a great experience, nothing negative to say, except that I think their model is old and broken and, and we represent the future. And I think a lot of focus has been on this tremendous transfer of wealth and, oh my God, we got to position ourselves and we've been hearing it for too long. Yes, that's our opportunity, but I think the real opportunity that you and I and we, our firms are ushering in is the disruption of a market that hasn't functioned properly for the last 50 years in the United States. Regardless of the transfer of wealth, we are positioning ourselves to move millions and billions of dollars out of a bank in New York Mellon that is full of conflict into a model like ours that eliminates all the conflict and serves the client the way they're supposed to be served. And that's a real passion. So again, when we first spoke, I think we were, we were very much kindred spirit in that, spirits in that respect. Yeah, and full disclosure, you are our trustees in our family. Just I want the audience to know that we've actually wow. hired you to run our, our 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 world going forward. So it's important that that you're right. That shift is happening. Uh, a lot of the clients that we're we're, we're meeting are not aware of that shift because they're they're stuck in that old paradigm. So we're 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 educating them and again showing them those options, and they're they're pretty excited about considering different changes. Uh, so David, one last question I, I would really like you to expand upon a little bit. You've touched on sort of the investments inside of a trust and some of the flexibility that maybe firms like yours have versus some of the larger institutions. I'm really interested to hear your take on that to maybe educate our listeners a little bit more on some of those differences and why that might be important long-term. Yeah, it's another very, very exciting aspect of modern trust law. And, and the foundation of it is something called the directed trust. I mentioned that earlier. And that's the engine that allows for the tremendous flexibility for your clients to work with asset managers that they want to work with and allows their asset managers by extension to invest the way they want to be invested, whether it's cryptocurrency or hedge funds or private equity or traditional investments. And so the new paradigm ushers in trust companies like Bridgeford who are completely agnostic. We, we are agnostic as to custodial companies. We're agnostic as to investments, which is to say we are directed to hire you. We are directed to hire sub-managers. Uh, we are directed to do what it is the families want based on your sage advice. And so the, the flexibility that that brings and, and the total 
a removal of conflict of interest is is you know this is the third or fourth aspect of what it is we're so excited about at Bridgeford and what we can do in the in the new world of trust planning. You know, one of the things we used to hear all the time at Bank of New York Mellon, and I, I use them as a proverbial punching bag, but it, they're 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 synonymous with PNC or Wells Fargo or any of the other big ones, and they're not bad people. They're business people, right? And and miraculously, somehow they all seem to re- recommend their own hedge funds, and miraculously they tend to to you know have everybody in funds that are almost impossible to move if they leave the platform. The new paradigm dismisses all of that and gives the type of creativity. So you tell Bridgeford what to do, and you're telling us what to do because you've advised your client, and your client is is, is following your advice. And frankly, we love it. And and I don't I, I don't have the passion or the expertise uh, that you have in the investment management space. And so we never built Bridgeford to be experts in investment management. We wanted to be you know, the the vehicle to uh, to bring as protection and the modern trust laws and everything we talked about. So I hope that's responsive. I, I'm trying to paint the picture of, of the tremendous flexibility and control that has been given back to families and primarily through the directed trust structure. And that allows our companies to partner with virtually no conflict of interest. Yeah, I think you've really hit that point a couple of times, I think successfully, which is the flexibility that your trust company and some of the structures that your clients are in can really have versus maybe what, as you mentioned, sort of the old fashioned way. And that's been our experience as well in working with you and and working with some of those larger institutions. There does tend to be maybe less investment flexibility, like you mentioned, conflict of interest. We've seen some of the larger corporate trustees that have been unwilling to consider maybe more, I don't want to say exotic type of investments, but not your chocolate and vanilla type of stock and mutual funds and bond type of portfolios. And that for many of our families, it can pose a little bit of an issue because they maybe want to have some more uh, exotic type of investments. They might want to have an operating business inside of that trust or a piece of real estate inside of that trust. And if the trust company is not comfortable with that for one reason or another, that can pose some friction for the families. So I think having a solution like yours, you know, really just creates that other option that many families are looking for. So I think that that's wonderful. Uh, I appreciate the feedback. And, and, and I think, again, it allows us to be <clears throat> good stewards of, of, of our clients' funds and, and work, work together without conflict. So I, I love that we both embrace where we're going and, and I love the work that we're doing together. I mean, I, I think we're kind of just getting started with this new paradigm and uh, you know, families that discover it love it, as you know. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're excited as well. And fortunately, David, we're running out of time here, but I wanted to thank you one more time for being a guest today. I think what you've what you've educated our families and listeners on is just really something that they're not hearing about. And that's what we try to do with this podcast. So I think you've accomplished that in spades. Thank you. Thank you, David. No, thank you both. Gentlemen, I know the goal for your podcast, John, from the very, very beginning, our first conversation, you said you want to bring education to the masses. You want to bring information that people aren't hearing. And I think that this is going to raise a lot of questions for a lot of families that are maybe not currently working with Copper Beach or they're working with another advisor and they're like, wait a second, I, why is my trust in, in, in this state? <laughs> it, literally in this state. Um, so. I'm hoping it does bring lots of questions and I'm hoping that they're going to reach out. So what's the best contact information for anybody that has questions for you? You can reach us uh, the, uh, via phone, area code 856-988-8300. And you can always reach us on LinkedIn, social media, and our website, www.cbfg, 
LLC.com. Fantastic. David, I want to thank you again. I, I just want to echo what the guy said. You bring such passion to the topic, and, and, and obviously you're very, very passionate about what you do. So thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And of course, John and Michael, thank you for bringing them on the show. And as always, our last thank you is reserved for you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Copper Beach is not affiliated with American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., a member of FINRA SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., an SCC-registered investment advisor. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Any opinion expressed in this forum is not the opinions of American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., and American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. Bridgeford Trust Company, Copper Beach Financial, and American Portfolios are unaffiliated entities.